So Pastor Thane told me, he said, uh, he said, you know, he went long. He doesn't usually go long in Sunday school. He said, I went long in Sunday school, and Pastor went really long in morning service. So we should just keep everybody, you know, off whatever, and you should go short. So I don't know what that says about me, but um, <laughs> I did not. I was done 10 minutes early. Thane went super long last time. I was done 10 minutes early last time. I told you guys 25 after, and I was done at 15 after. See? Look at me. And Pastor did promise this morning. He said, I promise, and he just gave us permission to uh, set our alarms. So maybe we should all just walk out at 11.50. I don't know if I'm that brave. <laughs> uh, anyway, Acts chapter number 9, I have one question for you. How many of you, either in church this morning, on your way home, or when you got home, Looked up how buzzards cool themselves. Anybody? Did anybody do it? A couple. I did it. Yes. Yeah, anyway, I'll let you look that up. <laughs> <laughs> Acts chapter number nine. So in Acts chapter number nine, uh, we see three people in, in Acts chapter number nine. Um, we looked at Paul and the conversion of a tyrant. We looked at Ananias who had a job that nobody wanted. He went to Paul after Paul got saved, and he's the one who laid his hands on Paul, and Paul received the Holy Spirit, and he's the one that went and, and was the first one to see Paul after he'd gotten saved. Now, that would have been a scary job. That would have been a scary job to go see Paul. And now, this, this evening, I want to see a third person. That's going to be Barnabas, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 9 and verse um, 19. And then um, we're going to go through verse 43. No, not, not really. Um, anyway, um, look at verse 19. It says, and when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither to Damascus for that intent that he might bring them bound under the chief priests. If you remember in verse 1, he went and got permission and Saul was going to Damascus to arrest Christians. And so they're like, hey, who is this guy? Isn't he the one that persecuted Christians and he came to Damascus to persecute Christians? Verse 22, but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. A few things I want you guys to see tonight. The first thing in regards to Paul is, number one, I want you to see Paul's preparation. Paul's preparation. Now, Paul gets saved. He was blind. Um, Ananias finally came, laid hands on him. His sight was restored. He received the Holy Ghost, and then in verse 19, he finally eats something, and he's strengthened, but, but notice what happens here. It says, then Saul, then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. A few things I want you to see about. First of all, I want you to notice his certain days. Now listen, we don't necessarily have a detailed timeline here of what happened in Paul's life, okay? But Paul was in Damascus for at least three years, three years. You can go over to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 32 and 33, and there you'll find his account of the governor, the governor of uh, Damascus, 
who had a garrison of soldiers wanted to arrest Paul, and they wanted to kill Paul. And you have that account here in verses 23 through 25 of Acts chapter 9. But what they do? They let Paul out the window of the wall in a basket so that he could escape. But take your Bibles and go over to Galatians chapter 1. Take your Bibles, go over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1 gives us a little bit of insight in what was going on in, in Paul's life while he was at Damascus. So in Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 11. Galatians 1 verse 11. The Bible says, Paul says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel. So Paul is talking about the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think there's a lot more here to that than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think he learned and was taught more than just that. But here he says, the gospel, which was preached of me, notice what he says, is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here Paul says, listen, the gospel that I've been preaching to you, I didn't get this from a college professor, and I didn't learn this from some teacher. I learned this from Jesus. That's where I got this, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past. Now he gives his, his testimony in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, literally ruined it, like burned it down to ashes, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Now, that's verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So notice this. He says, I didn't confer. I didn't communicate. I didn't talk to flesh and blood. This wasn't established in my heart and mind by somebody else. Notice what he says. He says in verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were, which were apostles before me. He says, so I didn't, neither, I didn't go up to the church at Jerusalem and talk to uh, all the apostles and have them, you know, establish my calling or what I'm doing. They didn't do that either. So who did it? But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. By other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. So here Paul says, listen, when I got saved, I didn't go, I didn't have some teacher teach me these things. I didn't go up and have my calling established and have the authority put on my ministry by the other apostles. Instead, I went out into the desert. I was in Arabia with Jesus by myself. And Jesus taught Paul what he was preaching. And so all we know is that Paul was in Damascus for at least three years. We know that the gospel, the doctrine that he preached, and the messages he preached were given to him by Christ in the desert. And that was his time. And that was his preparation for what God wanted him to do. And there in Galatians chapter 1, he says that he had a calling to the heathen, to the Gentiles. And that's where he would be preaching. That's who he would be preaching to. And so here in verses 19 through 25, we see Paul's preparation. God prepared him for what he wanted him to do. 
And listen, the same is going to be true in your life and in mine. God is going to give you the opportunities to prepare. Now, for me, I went to Bible college. Pastor went to a Bible college. Pastor Thane went to a Bible college. But we all have experiences outside of just that. Pastor didn't start out going to Bible college. He graduated from a secular school. And then he pastored different churches and I mean, all the time. And then finally, God put him in a Bible college where he could learn more and prepare more. And, and his, his experience was different. Your experience is different. But God has prepared and is preparing each and every one of us for whatever it is he wants us to do. And we need to be paying attention and we need to be preparing for what he wants for us. Um, this sermon series that pastors starting on, on all of these current trends and and these different uh, things that are happening happening in our culture. Pay attention. Take notes. Write down thoughts that you might have so that you're prepared for when your coworker asks you a question or your family member asks you a question or some whacked out weirdo on Facebook asks a question. But be ready. Prepare. And so this was Paul's preparation for what God had for him. So Paul was there in Damascus and God was preparing him, and Paul was preaching Jesus in Damascus for up to three years. So now, the next, not only is preparation, but notice the problem. In verse 23, it says, And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await uh, was known of Saul, and they watched the gates and night to kill him. Verse 25, Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. There was a problem. Paul was preaching Jesus, everything was great, and now all of a sudden it's flipped upside down. They want to kill Paul. Now, I, I don't need to raise of hands, but I mean, how many of you have ever been threatened or your life has been threatened or somebody has planned to kill you because you follow Jesus? How many people have laid wait outside your front door waiting for you to step outside so that they could attack you because you go to church on Sunday and you worship Jesus? I don't know that any of us have ever experienced that kind of thing, but that's where Paul's at. I don't know about you, but that's a problem. That's a problem. I, I don't want that. But that's what they're doing. They're wanting to kill Paul. And so they let him down at night through a window in a basket so that he can escape. And here's the thing. You know, our problems are, de are determined by our perspective. God is doing something in Paul to move him along. I mean, Paul's been in Damascus for three years. He's preaching Jesus. He's in the synagogue. He's preaching to the Jewish people. He's, he's, he's out there. And the people know Paul. They know Saul. They, knew who he, they know who he is. They know what he's preaching. They know there's a difference. They, they see it. I kind of wonder if maybe it was easy, like Paul was getting comfortable in Damascus and God's about to push him out of the nest. You know, you could go to Genesis chapter 45 and I would encourage you read Genesis chapter 45 sometimes and look at the life of Joseph. And when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in chapter 45, oh, come on, man, come on in, man, grab a seat. Come on in. In Genesis chapter 45, Joseph's brothers come back to Egypt the second time and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and the Bible says they were afraid. Why? Because they thought Joseph was going to kill him. Why? Because he had sold him into slavery. He ended up in the prison and in Potiphar's house and forgotten about and went all, through all the stuff he was, had gone through. 
and probably his brothers would have killed Joseph if they had been in the same boat. And what was Joseph's perspective? You didn't send me here. God did. God sent me before you to preserve life, Joseph told him. Joseph wasn't mad. He wasn't bitter. Joseph had an amazing perspective when it came to his problems. Think about the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 1. If you were to go over to Exodus chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, in verse 7 it says that the children of Israel prospered and they grew and they were fruitful and they multiplied and they were taking over the land. And then in verse 8 it says there was a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. I personally believe that if a Pharaoh didn't come along that didn't know Joseph and didn't know what Joseph had done and what God had done, the children of Israel would have been, would have been content to live in Goshen forever. But what was God doing? God was pushing them out of Egypt and God was moving them along so they could get to their promised land and God could fulfill his promises and bless Israel. And you know, the same is true in your life and in mine. Sometimes we look at something, we say problem and we don't like it and we get upset, we get mad. But a lot of times that's determined by our perspective. And sometimes we have to step back and reevaluate what's going on in our life and adjust our perspective. And just because it's bad doesn't mean it's not for good. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not for good. And so our perspective will determine our problems. And so here, Paul has a problem. What does he do? He escapes. So where does he go? He goes to Jerusalem. Look at verse 26. It says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he planned, he attempted to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So we see his preparation, we see the problem. Now I want you to see the pessimism. Here we see the pessimism. He comes into Jerusalem, goes into the church there in Jerusalem, wants to connect with the disciples. And they're like, uh -uh, I don't think so, dude. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid, it says. And it says they didn't believe him. Now let's, let's step back here. And let's, let's, let's put ourselves in their shoes. You would probably have some doubts too. Paul's reputation swept the nation of Israel. I mean, it, it went everywhere. They knew who he was. They weren't dumb. They knew what was going on. So, you know, let's, let's put ourselves in, in those shoes. Let's say, um, you know, we're, sitting, we're, we're here tonight, and let's say in walks Joe Biden. Let's say in walks George Soros. Let's say we're here tonight, and in walks Nancy Pelosi or good old Polis or how about Fauci? And he says, hey, I've been saved, and I need to grow. And I know Jesus is Lord, and I know he's God, and I've accepted him as my Savior. What do I do next? Would we doubt? Would we, would we, would we be skeptical? Would we say, I don't know, man, we're going to keep you at arm's length and we'll see how this goes. Well, that's exactly what, what the church at Jerusalem did. They pushed Paul to an arm's length and they said, no, 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 not so quick. And they, they held him at arm's length. And so guess what? A man by the name of Barnabas steps in and helps Paul and helps the church at Jerusalem receive Paul and brings that together. 
And so notice what happens in verse 27. But Barnabas. So here, not only the preparation, the problem, the pessimism, but notice this, the philanthropist. It's another key word, the philanthropist. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. The philanthropist, here is Barnabas. Now listen, the people knew who Barnabas was. If you were to go back to Acts chapter four, there you'll find Barnabas was the one who sold all of his land and gave it to the church so that it could be distributed and that the church, the, the, these new Christians could all be taken care of. That was Barnabas. They knew who Barnabas was. And here, Barnabas, it says he took him and brought him. A couple things I want you to see real quick about Barnabas. Number one, he took him and brought him. He came alongside of Paul, and he was the one who helped him along. And you know what? There might be somebody that God wants you to help along. And maybe it's out of your comfort zone, and maybe you don't know what to say, or maybe you're like, I don't know what to do, or man, I don't know. But listen, let me encourage you, get out of your comfort zone and help somebody along. Get out of your comfort zone and bring, take and bring somebody along in their faith. Reach out to somebody. Get out of your little circle where you sit on Sunday morning and branch out to some other corner and meet somebody and see if you can't be a help to somebody. But branch out, reach out. You can do that. And that's what Barnabas did. Barnabas comes alongside of Paul and brings him to the church. And notice what he does. Not only does he come alongside of him, but notice what he says. It says, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him. Now he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Here, Barnabas doesn't just come alongside of Paul, but notice what happens. Barnabas speaks up. He testifies about Paul's testimony. He substantiates it. He backs it up. And he tells him, listen, I have talked with Paul. And I've also heard about what he has preached and what he did in Damascus and what's been going on. There, there's some proof to this pudding. This, there, it's legit. This is real. This has happened. And here, Barnabas puts his neck on the line. He puts his good name out there to help Paul. Listen, there might be somebody out there and you're like, man, I could talk to them. Maybe I could help them. But you're like, they're kind of sketchy. I don't know about them. But you might be able to help them. You might be able to witness to them. You might be able to encourage somebody and help them grow and, and see them move forward. You might be the person to help everybody else except somebody. Notice, this is a church, this is thousands of people who are holding Paul at arm's length. And what does Barnabas do? One man brings all those people together. That might be you. That might be you. Verse 28 says, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Verse 29, and he spake boldly. Next thing I want you to see is the proof. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Uh-oh, we have another problem. It says in verse 30, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. The proof is in verse 29, and he spake boldly. 
You know, when somebody says that they've gotten saved, there's usually proof. There's usually change. It's usually something that they can't keep inside, and there's fruit. There's something different. I don't always know what that difference is, but there's usually something different. And there was obviously something different about Paul. He is out there debating and preaching boldly the name of Jesus. Instead of persecuting those who believe in the name of Jesus, now he is preaching the name of Jesus. That's different. That's evidence. That's proof. And so God uses Paul and uses these situations to establish Paul and the fact that he has been saved. And now you see the proof. But then you have another problem. They want to kill Paul. So what do they do? Well, the brethren brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. The last thing I want you to see is not only the preparation, the problem, the pessimism, the philanthropist, and the proof, but the next thing I want you to see is the peace. Now, I would say this. Pastor Shane, Pastor Monday, I think verse 31 would be a great verse for a pastor's conference. Do you know what a church should be characterized by? Do you know what a church should be? Do you know what a growing church probably looks like? Rest, edification, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. I'd say those are four good things that should characterize a local church. Edified means strengthened. Rest means peace. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And people were being added to the church. Now, real quick, I want you to look at the peace part of this. Then had the churches rest. That word rest is the Greek word for peace in our Bibles. Let me ask you a question. Why did the church have peace or rest? You tell me, why did they have rest? Saul was gone. Saul got saved. Let me ask you a question. If you were a Christian at this point in time and you saw Paul in the church and he's preaching, he's out in the streets and he's debating with these Grecians and, and he's out there preaching the name of Jesus, do you think you'd sleep a little better at night? I think I would. Do you think you'd walk down the street with a little bit more peace? I think I would. Yeah, they had rest. So here's my question. Actually, no, let me back that up. I'm not going to ask that question yet. I want you to take your Bibles instead and go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. And I want to challenge your thinking on something, and don't get mad at me. I've already been challenging my own thinking on this, so don't get mad at me tonight. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what Paul, yeah, Paul, the one who just got saved in Acts chapter 9. The one who got saved and now they have peace. Notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Man, I'm telling you, that is a list. Holy smokes. Uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Those are four different aspects to our prayer life. 
four different aspects to our prayer life. He says, all of these things should be made for all men. Now notice verse two. For kings and for all that are in authority. That we, might, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Notice verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of, our, of God, our Savior. Verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Here's my question. Do you think those early Christians were praying for Paul's salvation? I do. I do. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for George Soros' salvation? Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden. When's the last time you prayed for those in authority and kings? When's the last time you prayed for their salvation? Because in verse 3, it says that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What if we as Christians spent the same amount of time praying for kings and those in authority? What if we spent the same amount of time praying for their salvation that we do reading blogs, the news, Fox News, radio programs, and everything else that's politically oriented? What if whatever amount of time we spent on that, we spent praying for their salvation? What would our country look like? I personally believe that that early church was praying for Saul's salvation nonstop. I personally do. I personally believe they were begging God to save his soul. And you know what they had? Rest. They had peace. They had peace. Ladies and gentlemen, is our, is our, our churches, is our culture, is our, is our Christianity under attack? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. On all fronts. Our families, our faith is being attacked. And my challenge to you is pray. Pray. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their salvation. Anyway, here in Acts chapter number nine, Barnabas comes along the side of Paul and helps him connect with the church there at Jerusalem. And there, Paul is established. His authority is established. And now Paul's ministry is about to just take off. And guess who's going to travel with Paul? Barnabas. Barnabas. Listen, you can be a Barnabas. You can help somebody. You can encourage somebody. You can help somebody grow in their faith if you'll just trust God and step out and do it. I understand it's uncomfortable. That's okay. That's okay. Uncomfortable is good. Reach out to somebody. Be a Barnabas. Encourage somebody and help somebody. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for, Lord, thank you for the time where you have placed us Thank you for the time in which we live and the day in which we live. And Lord, thank you for the opportunities we have to reach people and to be a blessing and to help people and encourage people. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a Barnabas. Help us to be an encouragement to one another. Help us to reach out and help other people along in their faith. Lord, also help us to be people of prayer. 
Lord, I pray that we would have rest in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.